great to see you here with us today. It's always a joy to be with you. And if this is your first time here, as Jeff said, welcome. We're so thankful that you're here and pray God's blessing on you. Take your Bible this morning, your copy of God's Word, and go to Colossians chapter 3. We were in this passage last week, and we uh, took a pretty in-depth look at the first four verses. And this morning, I want to pick up in verse 5 in just a few minutes, and I want us to think this morning about putting off the old life, is what Paul talks about in this passage, putting off the old life. If you read the New Testament, particularly the epistles of the Apostle Paul, the letters, what you'll find is he has a, a, a pattern. In most of his epistles, he will begin with doctrine, and some of it very deep and very fulfilling. And then at somewhere in the epistle, he will move from doctrine to practical application. And he'll give illustrations, and he'll explain how to apply the doctrine that he just gave to life. I would suggest to you, we need that. We need to not only know the truth, to know the doctrine, but we need to know how to apply it to life. And Paul, Paul does that for us uh, in many of his writings. He gives us what I would call practical application to life. When I was a little fellow, I played, I played Little League Baseball, um, various branches around here. Actually, I played at Bell Med we're way back. But I remember we had a coach who would say, next week now we're going to get down to brass tacks. And what he was talking, that was his favorite phrase. I never forgot it. We're going to get down to brass tacks next week. What he meant was all the stuff I've been teaching you about how to play shortstop and first base, we're going to really make application to it. Well, Paul does that for us. Now, one of the greatest illustrations of that, uh, really in two ways, is in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a truth. We share it. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. But that gospel requires a, a response. It requires an action. It requires an application. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he said this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when we hear the gospel, a doctrine, a truth, we have to make application by faith to be saved. And the same is true throughout the Christian life. As we learn the Bible, then we apply the Bible. Now watch this. As you add truth to your brain, as you think and read and study God's Word, listen to sermons, really saturate yourself in the truth of God's Word, God the Holy Spirit moves it to your heart. And when it gets moved to your heart, it gets moved to your feet. So it goes from your brain to your heart to your feet so that you live out and we live out the Christian life. Let me just throw this in for free. Christians who are struggling in their lifestyle, Christians who are struggling in their faith, are not putting enough stuff in their brain that belongs to God. Usually they're putting too much worldly stuff in there. And the worldly stuff goes to your heart. And guess where else it goes? To your feet. Okay? Actions. So Paul says, here's the doctrine, and then here's how you do it. Now let me set the context so that we remember the doctrine very quickly. He told us three things last week in those first four verses. Number one, he said, if you're saved, if you're a born-again child of God, if you have confessed your sin and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you died with Christ on the cross. The old man died. His death became your death. Number two, he said, if you're a born-again child of God, by way of encouragement, 
Not only did you die with Christ, but when he arose from the grave, you resurrected with Christ. When you get saved, you ought to get in the pool and get baptized. If you're here and you've been saved and you haven't been baptized, you ought to come say, Pastor, I want to get baptized. Why? Because when you go down in the water, it's a picture of what? Dying with Christ. When you come up out of the water, it's a picture of being resurrected with Christ. The doctrine that Paul taught us last week in the first four verses is illustrated in action when you get in the pool. That's why Jesus said when you get saved, get baptized. That's why he said go out, teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's an illustration of the thing that happened in your life. So we died with Christ, we rose with Christ, and then I think some of the coolest parts, he said we're glorified with Christ. Now that's in two parts, he said. Right now, positionally, we're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies because we're in him. But there's coming a day when we're actually going to realize being glorified with him in our new resurrection body and enjoying his very glory and his very presence. So those doctrines are powerful. If you think about them, the fact that you died with Christ, you rose with Christ, and you're glorified with Christ, how should that cause us to live? Well, you don't have to guess because Paul tells us, okay? Beginning in verse 5, he's going to show us three things, and that's all we're going to look at today. Number one, he's going to show us that because we're united to Christ, because we've died with him, we've rose again with him, and we are united with him in his glory, we should put away, listen, individually, we should put away all moral evil. Put it away. Number two, not only should we put away moral evil, but we should put away social evil, the way we interact with people. And then finally, he gives us two reasons why we should do that practically. So those are the three things we're going to look at today. Look at verse 5 as we begin with putting away moral evil. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He begins this verse with the word therefore. What do we always say? When you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? Get it? Is there because of the first four verses. He said this doctrine, and so in verse 5 it goes, because of that, because of your being united with Christ in his death, his resurrection, his glory, these are the things you ought to do. These are the things you ought to practice. This is how your life ought to be. Now notice he says here, put to death your members. The writer, the scholar, R. Kent Hughes said this, doctrine demands duty. Creed determines conduct, and facts demand acts. That's what Paul's saying. Therefore, because of these things, put these things to death. Put this to death in your life. Now, that's a strong term. In fact, he says, therefore, put to death your members which are in the earth. That's kind of extreme. Why is that extreme? Because sin is extreme. Sin is dangerous. And Paul said, you got to put it to death. You have to kill it. It's serious. Do you know how serious sin is, even for a Christian? Jesus said it this way. Listen to Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it away. For it's more profitable for you that one, should, that one of your members should perish and that your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. Now, neither Paul nor Jesus is talking about mutilating your physical body. That's not what they're talking about. 
What he's saying is that the thing in your heart, the thing that moves you to sin, our bodies are simply the, the members that express the sin that's already on the inside. And what Jesus and Paul are both saying is that it's such a serious matter that you have to do every effort to put it to death, to put it out of your life, to put it away. could illustrate it this way. In some cultures, people who steal or pickpocket get their hand cut off. You know, if a, if a person is a thief and they steal something and they use their right hand and they cut their right hand off. Well, you know, if you don't fix the problem in the heart of being a thief, he'll just start using his left hand. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the, the, the physical instrument. It's not the thing. The problem is in the heart. And so what both Paul and Jesus are saying is, look, and make a volitional choice, a conscious decision to say before God, the things that offend you, the things that are incongruous with the fact that I have unity with you, Jesus, that I died with you, that I rose again, that I share in your glory right now, the things that are, are incongruous with that, I'm going to put them out of my life. I'm going to put them away. I'm going to count those things as dead. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 6. Likewise, you also reckon, Paul is from the south, reckon, no, that means account. He says, likewise, you also account yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Why does he say count it? Because you are in Christ. Count that thing real in lifestyle, which is already positional in Christ. Count yourself as dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey us. Don't let sin control you. Don't let sin control what you do. Now, obviously, we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just throw that in there. But he says, we have to determine that. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We're positionally dead in Christ, positionally alive in Christ, positionally sharing in his glory. The, the end of the story is live like it. Act like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Interact with people like it. Have a personal life like you're connected to Christ. That's the command. You say, wow, pastor, that stuff's kind of like in your face. Tough, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've been dealing with it all week, so now it's your turn. <laughs> we, we have to live it and not just say it. If it's real in our heart, then we have to live it. Now, Paul and I have this in common. He likes to make lists. I like to make lists. So I'm, I dig it when Paul does this, okay? Look at the list of the moral things we are to put out of our lives. Now, this list is not all-inclusive. If you say, man, I'm going to master these things and I got it made. No, you don't, okay? This is just indicative. Listen, this is indicative of the kind of sin that's on the inside that gets manifest on the outside. And what Paul says is these things, put them to death, put them away. Look at the list. He says, therefore, put to death your members there in verse 5 of Colossians 3, which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Fornication is the Greek word pornea. Porne is, uh, or porne, depending on how you pronounce it, was the Greek word for prostitute. We get our English word pornography from it. Uh, porn, porno, porne, meaning the prostitute, the sexuality, and graphic means drawing or pictures, so we get the modern English word pornography from it. What Paul's saying, and what this word means in the biblical sense, is any form, any and every form of sexual immorality you got to put it away. you got to put it to death. 
every form. He's saying any form. Our duty as connected to God is to put it away. One writer said this. This not only means the physical act, but as one writer well said, it means to put away lured imagination, speech, indeed of a sensual heart or filthy mind. In other words, put it all away. Put it away on the inside so it doesn't become an issue on the outside. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, if a man looks at a woman or a woman looks at a man and lusts after that person in their heart, they've committed adultery with them already or have committed fornication with them. So how important it is, is it for us in this area of sin that we absolutely put up walls, that we put up guards. Now this was a, let me say, this was a radical statement in Paul's day. Radical. It was, it's a radical statement in our day now, isn't it? To be abstinent and to be pure. Because our culture knows none of that now. In the first century, the Romans and the Greeks had no boundaries on sexuality. Everything was fair game. Licentious, promiscuous, that, that described the first century culture in which the church was founded. And so when Paul writes this list and says to the church, particularly read 1 Corinthians, he writes to the church in Corinth and says, hey, you guys, hey, hey, you got saved. Now you're connected to Jesus. You died with him. You rose with him. You're connected to his glory. Don't be going up to the temple prostitutes up there on the hill like you used to when you're lost. Put that stuff out of your life. All through the New Testament, he dealt with that. And he called them to purity to no sexual activity before marriage, which is in our word fornication, no adultery, certainly no homosexuality, no bestiality, all the different forms of sexual immorality that were practiced in the first century. Paul said, if you're in Jesus, you got to knock that stuff off. Put it away. Can I say kindly? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hadn't changed. So we have to put that stuff out of our lives. We have to put the old man away and allow the new man who's in Christ to be in charge. Then he uses a word, uncleanness, akatharsia. It's similar, it, it really goes right in line with the, with the pornea thing. It means an impurity or a filthiness more on the inside, which is where it starts, isn't it? It starts with the looking and the, and the thinking and the pondering. And in our society, what's terrible is you can't drive down the road and look at a billboard without there being some lurid thing on it. You can't turn on the TV without some promiscuous thing on it or some permissibility. So we really, in our culture, have to determine in our hearts, God, I want to be pure in that area of my life. And it's men and women. It isn't just men. We have to be pure in that life. If you go on the computer, you got to be pure. You got to. And so Paul said, even, even this uncleanness, this uncleanness of the heart, he says, put that stuff away. And then he follows that with passions, uh, an evil desire there, he says, uncleanness and passions and evil desires. Those two sometimes go together. Uh, passions are pathos. It means, uh, it means an uncontrolled passion for something. doesn't just have to mean immorality or sexuality. It means a passion for something in life. And the passion is so strong that it's unchecked and it controls a person. Have you ever known people who have passions in life? Passions that are outside of Christ, passions that are, hey, here's a, here's a unique suggestion. Why don't we have a passion for Jesus? How about that? Why don't we have a passion for God's word? Why don't we have a passion for holiness? Why don't we have a passion for God's church? Why don't we have a passion for sharing the gospel? Why don't we have any passion that's biblical other than what the world says we ought to have a passion for? And so Paul said these passions uh, and, and evil desires that draw us away from God. One writer described evil desires as a wicked, self-serving, rapacious lust. 
That's interesting. But that's true. A passion, an evil desire that controls a person, that grabs their life and, and holds them in focus of the wrong thing. And the world is a master at doing that, by the way. The world is a master at doing that. Let me illustrate this way. There's nothing wrong with having recreation and having a sport or liking football or baseball or golf, but don't let it be your passion. Sometimes people say to me, man, my passion is this thing, and I think in my brain it shouldn't be. I'm too nice to say it to them, but it shouldn't be. This thing in the world and that thing in the world should not be our passion. Your work should not be your passion. Your profession shouldn't be your passion. It's your profession. It's the thing God gave you to make a living so you can feed yourself, put a roof over your head. But it's not your passion. Your passion ought to be Jesus Christ if you're saved. Your passion ought to be the Word of God if you're saved. Your passion ought to be honoring Him because you're connected to Him in His glory. That should be our passion, not worldliness. Pleonexia is the next word, covetousness. Don't you love these Greek words? Man, they're so clear. It's actually a compound word. Pleon means more. And exo means to have. So covetousness is I want more, more, more. I was reminded of the Morgan and Morgan commercial. You ever see it? <laughs> the lady sitting there with her big giant ice cream and he's pouring toppings on it and she goes, more, more, more. When I read and I was staying, I was like, man, I need that commercial. I need to put it up here. There's a lady, more, more, more. You know, if we do that in life, if we do that in life and we covet things, particularly things of the world, you know why it's likened to idolatry? Because that thing becomes our God. That thing that we, that we want more and more of that's outside of Jesus, that, that sin or that lust or that thing, that passion that we want more and more and more of outside of Jesus Christ becomes the thing that we, that we worship. William Barclay, a Scottish scholar, said it this way, let me read you the quote. It is therefore a sin which is very wide-ranging, this covetousness. If it is the desire for money, it leads to theft. If it's the desire for prestige, it leads to evil ambition. If it's the desire for power, it leads to sadistic tyranny. And if it is the desire for a person, it leads to sexual sin. So this covetousness becomes the thing that drives us and Paul said, here's his point about these moral failures and these moral sins. He says, we have to put these things to death in our life. We have to prayerfully say, God, I want to I kill these things in my life. I don't, want them, I don't want them raising their ugly head in my life. I don't want them to rule my life. I don't want them to be my passion. And we have to say to God, Lord, I want you to be my passion. Now listen to me. There was a time in my life when I came to the realization of how serious this was. And it'll change the way you live when you realize it. It'll change the way you see life when you realize our passion has to be Jesus, not this world. Not money, not things, not power, not name. None, none of that stuff. It has to be Jesus. So Paul says to us here, look, first of all, if you're going to walk with Jesus as a Christian, if you're going to do what we're supposed to do, you have to put away the sin in our lives that God has revealed. Now, secondly, he says, put away social evils. Go down to verses 8 and 9. And we'll come back to 6 and 7 in a minute. Go down to verses 8 and 9. Notice what he says. But now you yourselves are to put, a, put off all these. So you yourselves are to put these off, he says. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, 
filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. That's pretty clear in itself if I just read it. But let's expand on it a little bit. Number one, he says, you yourselves are to put these off. You know what that means? Like changing clothes. Purposely, consciously take the old stuff off. Take the old man off, put the new man on. Now, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you do that, but listen to me. God will never enable us to do what we're not willing to do. We have to say to God, God, these sins are forever in front of me. These social passions, interactions are ever warring with my flesh. But God, I don't want those things. I want you. And I want to be right. God will help us take off the old man and put the new man on. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. We have to have a willing heart to do it. The problem that I've noticed with too many Christians is there's no willingness. Too many Christians, listen to me, try to hold hands with the world and hold hands with Jesus at the same time. You know what Jesus said? He's having none of it. Jesus said either it's all me or it's not me. It's either all the world or it's all me. We can't have both. So I would encourage you this morning, if you know you're saved, determine in your heart right now that sin is a serious matter. Sin is a serious matter before God. It offends God. And put these things out of your life. Now let's look at another list. Paul's my man. Made another list. Look at this. Anger and wrath. We'll put those two together. He says, put anger and wrath out of your life. Anger is orgy. Listen, this is a serious part of being angry. This is a, a, a deep, smoldering, long resentment. This thing holds on to a grudge or a hurt, and it's smoldering. It's an anger that you have with somebody that's not always evident, but it's always there. Let me say very quickly here, a little, a little pause. There are a lot of people who live with resentment. There are a lot of people who have been hurt somewhere in their life. Somebody hurt them. Somebody did something to them. Something in life happened, and man, they hold on to it. They don't know the meaning of bury the hatchet and put it away. In fact, they say, yeah, I'll bury the hatchet, but they remember where it's at, and they go get it often. This kind of anger is that seething resentment that just holds on. Please listen to me. If you harbor some anger against somebody, some grudge against someone. And may, listen, they may have legitimately wronged you. That is, that people do, if you haven't figured it out, people wrong you all the time. They may have legitimately wronged you. And you may have a right to say they wronged me. I'm not, I'm not even questioning that. But what I'm saying is if you allow that thing to smolder and burn in your heart, it only hurts you, it don't hurt them. You're not hurting them. So I would say to you in Jesus Christ, Paul said, put these things away. If you have some long, enduring, smoldering grudge against somebody, turn it loose. Give it to Jesus and say, Lord, this person hurt me. This person wronged me. I'm going to let you deal with it, and I'm not going to carry it around anymore. There are parents that don't talk to their kids. There are, there are kids who won't talk to their parents there are brothers and sisters who won't talk to one another. There are kinfolk who won't talk to one another. There are Christians who are mad at one another in the body of Christ. Let it go. Paul said, put it out of your life. Give it to Jesus. Let it go. 
You can't. Listen, your union with Christ and his death, his resurrection, and your walk in his glory will never be what it ought to be if you're holding on to it. Let this kind of anger go. Now, the second one mentioned here, uh, wrath, is stumos. That kind of anger is instant. It's like out of nowhere, boom, I'm hot, now I'm angry. Let me illustrate it for you. Happened this week. I can tell about stumos. Had to pray. Lord, pulled into this establishment that had a drive through The parking lot's really little. There's a big sign that says, circle the building. You know where I'm going, right? This person in front of me with a 42 and a half foot long Suburban, <laughs> however long they are, pulled into the, pulled off the road where you turn off the highway and instead of circling the building, stopped in the driveway to wait to get in the drive through line that had cars in it. I was pulling in behind them in my 40-foot truck <laughs> that I pulled a camper with, and now I can't go. And guess where part of my truck's sticking? Through moss. <laughs> From zero to hot, like instantly, right? Like you're here, everything's cool, got my Diet Coke, we're good. To what an idiot, boom, <laughs> you know, right? Now, I'm not justifying that. And I did not put my window down and say what I wanted to say. But one of the privileges of driving a big truck is you can drive over things. So I went around them, right? Thumos. You know what Paul said here? I had to confess. Paul said, put that stuff out of your life. It doesn't honor Jesus when I call a person an idiot. It don't honor Je I didn't call him. I thought it. And more. But that doesn't honor Jesus, does it? It doesn't. So when I'm saying I'm not preaching to you from an ivory tower, I'm telling you this stuff is real. That people do dumb stuff. And even if you aren't walking around carrying a grudge, somebody does something dumb and you're thinking, man, that's dumb. Why are you doing that? You know, and then you, and, and, and your emotions get going. So Paul said, put this stuff away. You know, in our society, that's a problem. Road rage, right? People get mad and, and at a, at, listen, they go to a recreational park, a, a swimming pool, and end up in a fight. What in the world, man? You're there to let the kids play. Why, why, what in the world could you fuss about at a swimming pool or, or, or a recreational thing? But thumos is a problem in our society. People are impatient. I am when they stop in the middle of the road. I'm impatient. But Paul, you know what Paul said? Put that stuff out of your life. Don't let it control you. Don't go around looking to be mad at everything and everybody that happens. He says, be patient, which is very hard. But that's what he said. Be patient and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the next thing he says here, he says, put away this, this wrath, uh, uh, this anger and this wrath. And then malice is an interesting word. Malice is kakia, and it means to, to a feeling of hostility, which is really closely related to, to orge and thumos, but it means to have a, an angry feeling or, or a feeling of dissension 
to want to do harm. I was almost there. <laughs> but that's what it flows. You see, you get angry. And then next thing you know, there's malice. You feel, you feel malice against this person. All of that is very unchristlike. You know? And if you're a Christian, the moment you feel that way, you get convicted. The Holy Spirit says, hey, hey, stop it. You know why? Because Jesus died for that person. Jesus loves that person. And as a child of God, guess what I'm supposed to do? No matter how long they sit in the middle of the road, I'm supposed to love them. That's just the truth of it. And so Paul said, put this stuff out of your life, this social stuff. And then filthy language is an interesting word. Escrologia. Logia word. This, this word speaks to, to vulgarity and cursing and, and swearing. And it, and it also speaks to derogatory speech that hurts people. We could, we could lump gossip under there. Words that hurt people that are malicious. We can do great damage with our words. Great damage. Which is why we have to really be careful. Do you know why there's problems in the body of Christ sometimes? Because people can't keep their mouth shut. You just got to say stuff that doesn't need to be said. You just got to say things that don't need to be said. They have to say unkind things or act unkind. Why, why should we put that kind of stuff out of our life? Why should we not talk ugly and use sailor language? Why should we not do that? Because it's unchristlike, and we're connected to Christ. Remember, this whole thing goes back to what? Our union with Jesus. And if I'm united with Jesus, this stuff has no place in my life. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, don't do that. Don't have filthy language. Then he says, do not lie. That includes hypocrisy. That includes deception. Don't be dishonest with people. Don't be hypocritical. Do you realize that a lie was involved in the first sin of humanity? Satan, Jesus says Satan is the father of all lies. God hates lying. You want to you know how, how serious lying is with God? Matter of fact, let me just say this real quick. One of the very first things we ought to teach our kids when they're growing up is to tell the truth. I told all four of my kids over and over and over, and they didn't always do it. I said, you can do a lot of things, but do not lie to me. Don't lie to me. Because when I catch you in a lie, it's going to be infinitely worse than it would have been. Tell me the truth. Yeah, but if I tell you the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, but that trouble's less than the trouble you're going to get into when I find out you lied to me. So take the lesser of the two evils, okay? You know how serious lying is with God? Read Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, remember those two? Everybody in the new church is all having a great huggy time. You know, we're selling our property. We're giving them money, man. We got this great thing going on. The church is brand new. Holy Spirit's there. The church is pure. Ananias and Sapphira see people getting patted on the back for selling their property and giving. So, so they, husband and wife, say, hey, we're going to sell the property we have, and we're going to give some money to church. But what we're going to do is we're going to lie about how much we give so they'll think we gave more than we gave. And we're going to keep back part of it, and we're going to deceive them so we'll get patted on the back and everybody think we're great people because we gave money to the church, but then we're going to keep some of the money. Do you remember what happened? They walked up before Peter and said, man, here's our gift. They did it individually too. And Peter said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Boy, they must have been shocked. Because the Holy Spirit told Peter they're lying and they dropped dead right there. Deacons, deacons had to carry them out. Then the wife comes in and says, hey, we sold this property. And Peter said, why are you telling the same lie your husband told when she dropped dead? 
So the same people carried your husband and I are going to carry you out. They both dropped dead. Listen, they were saved, went to heaven, but God the Heavenly Father said, no, no, no. No, no lying and messing in the church because it's holy. It's brand new. And lying is serious and God killed them both right there in the church. I've heard preachers say, man, if God dealt with sin like that in the church today, the crowd would get thin <laughs> and the people who came would be right. Okay? Because sin's serious and God would, would take care of it. So Paul said, put this stuff out of your life, even lying. Now, let me close with the reasons. Why, why should we do this? Why should this be such a big deal? Look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself were once walked when you lived in them. Now, let me give you two reasons why we should put these things out of our life, why, why these sins, the moral sins, the social sins should all be put out of our lives. Number one, the wrath of God. And we know what wrath is, it's thumos. We just, we just studied the word. But let me tell you, God's anger against sin is both. It's orge and it's thumos. God has a perpetual burning dislike of sin because it's an offense to his holiness. In fact, Psalm chapter 7, I think it is, verse 11, says that God, listen, is angry with the wicked every day. That means every day those who are lost and reject God's grace and those who continue in their sin and in the face of God's great mercy to save them, God's angry with that. And God's judgment is against them for rejecting his grace. And so his, his, his anger against their sin is this ongoing burning thing. But the Bible also said that God's storing up his anger and his wrath in a cup, meaning instead of pouring it out on us right now, he's just reserving it. But here's the warning. Those who continue in sin, particularly lost people, one day God's going to pour a cup out. And the Bible says in Revelation, to the dregs, to the bottom, meaning to the last drop. All the wrath and all the anger against sin that God stored up, he's going to pour out in judgment against those who won't be saved. So Paul said, in the face of God's anger and his wrath, you're stop sinning. That's, that's as plain as he's saying it. But what about saved people? You say, well, pastor, I'm saved. And Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so, pastor, I'm okay. I'm not under God's wrath. You're right. Praise God for that, right? You're not under the wrath of God. God's not angry with you anymore. Why? Because you're in Jesus. Remember the union? You died with him. You rose with him. You share in his glory now. God has no anger against you. God has no animosity against you. He sees you in his son. You're his child. He loves you. However, comma, there is this whole issue of chastening. The Bible says that those whom God loves, he does what? He chastens. Every child which is his, he chastens us. So here's what's true for us as Christians. If we willingly embrace sin and things that God said not to do, and by the way, if God convicts you about something, it might not be a sin for anybody else, but it is for you because God's convicted you about it. And God's told you that isn't the thing he wants in your life. If we rebel against God's conviction and we rebel against his open word about sin, what will happen in the life of a child of God? To the woodshed we go. God the Holy Spirit will wear us out. God the Holy Spirit will convict us and draw us and work on us. And God will bring things in our lives. Being under the chastening hand of God is no fun. But God does it because he loves us. 
And let me tell you how serious chastening can become for a child of God. There were Christians in the church in Corinth who were so rebellious that they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And I won't even get into how they were doing it. And Paul addressed them and he said, hey, you know how serious this is for you guys? You're saved. He called them brethren. They were Christians. He said, some of you are sick physically because of your sin. God's chastening you. And some of you, some of them sleep, meaning God took them home. It's a dangerous thing as a Christian to be a rebellious child. Let that sink in, okay? Doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean we're going to be sinless in this life. But to openly, in the face of understanding, and in the face of the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to say to God, I'm going to do what I want to do, better be careful about that. Because that means one, one of two things. You're a carnal Christian who's rebelling against God, or you ain't never been saved in the first place. And both of them are serious problems. So be, be very careful about that, okay? Finally, he said, take this old way and put it off because you used to walk that way when you were lost. Now, let me close with this. You say, Pastor, I want to do that. I want to, I want, by God's grace, I want, to, I want to get rid of this stuff in my life. I want my, my mind to be right. I want to think about the right things. I want to put the right things in my brain. I want to look at the right things. I don't want to look at the things of the world. I don't want to lust after the things of the world. Everything God said right here in his word, I'm willing to do that. So how do I do it? All right, here it is. You ready? I'm going to write this down. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here it is. Paul gave us the answer. Ready? Finally, brethren, watch this. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what's the last part say? Meditate on these things. Hmm. There's the answer. Watch this. You want to starve the old man till he dies. And you want to feed the new man on steak and baked potato. <laughs> Metaphorically. Speaking of that, that sounds good, doesn't it? What's Paul saying? All of this stuff, noble, just, true, pure, lovely, where do you find all that? I'll help you. Where do you find that? Right here. So what's Paul saying? Man, fill your brain up with this stuff. Fill it up with stuff about God. Fill it up with truth and purity. Don't put impurity in our brains. Don't look at stuff that's, that's impure. Don't read stuff that's impure. I had an uncle one time who had paperback books, a whole wall full of them, these little novels. And I remember as a kid going there, and my mama would tell me every time we went there, don't get any of those books off his shelf. I don't know. Okay. You know why when I got older? They were all raunchy. They were all, they were all full of... Stuff I was learning in elementary school, words that mama didn't want me sounding out. She didn't want me, she didn't want me reading that stuff. Why? Because that stuff doesn't need to be in your brain. Paul said, here's the key. 
Feed the new man. Feed the spiritual man. How do you feed the spiritual man? Read the Bible. Listen to sermons at your house. Listen to them on the radio. Listen to godly Bible teachers and preachers. Listen to them. Listen to gospel music. Now, let me just confess, we're going to close. I grew up with Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchett and, and all of those guys, okay? And my kids, when the song comes on somewhere and I can sing it, they look at me and go, man, are you crazy? I said, no, I just know all the words. But you know what's in those songs? Stuff that isn't right. Would you agree with that? Drinking and smoking and sleeping around and, you know, my dog died, my girlfriend left, so I'm going to get another dog and girlfriend. You know, the whole, th the whole thing, right? I mean, the whole, the whole worldly, why is it that way? Because it's worldly. It's all about the world. It's all about the flesh. It's all about attracting the flesh. That's why they sell a million, a million copies. So what are we supposed to do? Put that stuff to death. Feed the new man. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit will take what's in your brain. Again, I'm going to close. The Holy Spirit will take what's in your brain. He'll apply it to your heart. And when it gets applied to your heart, it comes out in your feet. It comes out in the way you walk. It comes out in the way you talk, the things you do, what you say, how you interact with other people. Cantankerous Christians, I can tell you what's wrong with them. Too much world. Too much world. Simple as that. Well, that was a message to Christians today. You feel all better now, don't you? <laughs> you ought to be with me when I'm writing this stuff. I'm like, Lord, oh, man. Let me close this. If you're here and you're not saved, it starts with a union with Christ. It starts with confessing your sin, asking Jesus Christ to save you, come in your heart and save you. Listen, the wrath of God is the real deal. The writer of Hebrews said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, you, listen, you want to get saved before you die. And you probably want to do it today. Here's how you do it, from right where you sit. When I pray, you pray and say, Jesus, man, there's a lot I don't know. But from what I heard this morning, I'm way off track. And I need to get saved. Ask Jesus to forgive your sin and save your soul. If you'll do that, God will forgive you. He'll save you. Watch. If you'll ask Jesus to save you, You'll get united with him in his death, his burial, and resurrection. You'll get united in his glory. You'll become part of the family, a child of God, heir and joint heir with him, and it just gets better from there. So why don't you get saved today? Why don't you do that? Let's pray. God, your word is sharp as a two-edged sword, Lord, and it divides asunder to the heart and soul of man. And Lord, we've been stabbed and cut today in just about every way possible. The Lord is good for us, and Lord, we need to learn, and we need to obey. And God, I know that for most of the people in this room, it's our heart's desire to do exactly what you said, to put those things out of our life, to add true and, and just and virtue and your word and truth. God, we want to add those things. Help us to do it. Help us, God, in the flesh as we fight the battle every day. Holy Spirit, may you give us strength to not lose our temper with people, to not be unchristlike in situations where it would be so easy. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today, online or in this room, and they've come under the hearing of your word, and Lord, right now in this moment, they need to be saved. Father, they've never confessed their sin and asked you to save them, and so right now they can. Lord, from their seat, they can say, Father, 
God, I'm a sinner and I know it. Lord, I see all these things in my life. I see them. God, you said there's sin and I'm sorry and, I'm, and I, I turn from them. Lord, I repent of them and I ask you to forgive me and save me. Lord, you'll save anybody who asks. Bless the invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can help you, pray with you. If you need to be baptized, join the church, whatever it is, you come as we begin to sing. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred hand for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for Christ? that I had done, he groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. Amen. Thank you again for being here this morning. If God's dealing with your heart about being saved, I can never say this too much. Don't leave this place without talking to somebody. Come find me right after the service. These are hanging around up here for a minute. See Jeff. Find one of the guys that looks like a deacon standing around, looks like they know what they're doing, okay? Ask one of them. Find one of us. Don't, don't leave without getting that settled uh, today, okay? Make sure you come to Christ today. Uh, it's our privilege. Brian, come on up here. Brian's been attending church here for a while now. He's saved, been baptized, and said he wants to join the church. So I'm proud of that. I'm thankful for that. Amen. We'll just do it now. All in favor of Brian joining the church, say amen. 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 So there you go. So we'll take care of the, the paperwork and all that stuff. One last announcement. This week is VBS Prep Week, and I know Jeff's... Hang on, I'm going to have him come up and meet you in just a minute. You can wait right there if you want to. Um... They're going to begin to turn all those rooms over there into VBS stuff. They're going to be all different kinds of rooms, and, and the teachers are going to be working there. So that means Wednesday night for our Bible study classes, we can't meet over there. We're going to meet in here. 
So every, all the Bible study class on Wednesday night are going to meet in here, okay? So when you get here, just come in here, and we'll have one uh, happy, good Bible study time here all together, okay? And then throughout the week, the next week in VBS, the week after, there'll be no midweek service because this will be all torn apart in here and the rooms over there, and we are giving over to VBS. I know Ms. Kim was telling me she had close to 200 children pre-registered, and we usually get another 50 or 60 or on the first day, and so who knows how many are going to be here, but kids get saved every year, amen? And so we're, we're excited about that, and we have about 50 young people too. Oh, yeah. There's yard signs out there. If you want to stick a, a sign in your yard, if we put them out on the road, the sign, uh, the county sign, people come by and pick them up. You throw them back of a truck and they go into this dark hole. We never see them again. I'm not sure where they go. But if you want to put one in your yard in your neighborhood, nobody will take it out of your yard. So pick up a sign out there and stick one uh, in your yard for the kids, okay? All right. We're going to pray. And Brian's going to be up here. You come by and say hi to him. Introduce yourself. Tell them welcome to church. Father, thank you for today, for this morning. We pray you bless the service this evening. Bless us throughout the afternoon. Bring us back safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.